I'm going to use this podium because it doesn't fall down. You ever notice that? I've been here six months, and I noticed that all the, all the speakers that come up front here like to use that thing, and they're going like this the entire meeting. And I don't want to do that. It is, I know. And I'm an old man. I turned 42 on Tuesday, so I get old. Old man. Although I don't feel old. Okay? I mean, I listen to all the right music. Right, Riley? Where's Riley at? Where's he at? He said that he, there you go. He said he listened to the Hooters over the weekend. So, over the week. I'm not encouraging you to do that, though. Okay? In light of what we're talking about here with uh, Christian Liberty. You have to edit that, Sam, okay? <laughs> and that's what we're doing. We're dealing with a very, very difficult subject. Uh, I consider it difficult because when we deal with the issue of Christian liberty, as we talked about last week, each one of us thinks differently about the subject. Now, we can look at the passages, we can go through the passages together, but each one of us thinks differently about the issue of Christian liberty. Usually when you hear the word because it's worked through so often in our Christian life, we, we begin, I think, to build barriers and to build up these structures that say, you cannot tell me what to do. I've read the passages, I've interpreted the passages, and I know for myself what I'm going to do. So you can't tell me what to do. And I sincerely hope that as we go through this material today that you don't feel that I'm telling you what to do. As we go through these passages, I want the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. I, I encourage you strongly, as I encourage myself, to work through these passages on your own. And I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to listen to the Holy Spirit then in these things. And if you feel that you're doing everything okay, then hey, you know, praise the Lord. But if you feel that there's something that the Holy Spirit is prodding you on in, in regards to this particular issue, then by all means, listen to the Holy Spirit. We have so many examples in Scripture of people who didn't listen to the Holy Spirit when they should have and who were working by their own flesh as opposed to the Spirit of God. And so I'm going to do the greatest thing that a Christian can do, and that is this. I'm going to hand you over to God. And I'm going to say on the issue of Christian liberty, God's going to have to deal with you on that. But we're going to look through the passages. And we're going to look through what God has to say in this. And we're doing it because in Titus chapter 2, which is the passage I believe will be addressed next Sunday, Paul has now turned attention to Titus and has asked Titus, who's going to be the leader at the church at Crete, to now work with people groups, to work with individuals and to work with groups of people on the issue of sound doctrine. Because he says in Titus chapter 2, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And then he addresses older men and older women and younger women and, older men and younger men and slaves in that chapter. And then he gives them a list of things. He gives Titus a list of things to look for in these leaders and these qualities that are there. And in the context of this, in the context of sound doctrine, comes up some things that are highlighted. For instance, if you were to look in Titus chapter 2, it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, 
but to teach what is good. You have this list of things, these qualities that are inherent in an older man, older woman, and things that they're supposed to watch out for. The question that I raised last week, you know, these are ideals that you see here, you know, to be temperate, to be worthy of respect. When, do you, when, when are you not worthy of respect? Uh, self-controlled. When are you not self-controlled? Uh, given to wine. When are you not given to wine? You, you, see, you see the question? When is the, when is the line crossed? When, when do you cross the line saying, okay, I'm, you know, well, given to wine. When it says here, you know, when do you cross the line and say to yourself, okay, I am given to wine now. Now, I've drank wine, but I'm given to wine. When does that happen? I don't know, and I can't answer that question for you when it comes to this. It's tough. It's a difficult thing to address. But when your exercising of Christian liberty crosses the line, that's where the issue comes. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 last week with one particular set of people in a first passage that deals on Christian liberty and one set of people that we have to be careful of when we exercise our Christian liberty is the brother or sister who's weak in the Lord, weak in the faith. And in particular, in the context of that, we saw that it was meat sacrificed to idols. You know, in the day and the culture and the context, there were temples that were throughout Corinth and people could visit these temples and in these temples there were gifts that were given and sometimes the gift that was given was a tithe in terms of food and meat. And so the people that were in the temple couldn't eat all of the meat and so they, they went and sold it in the marketplace. And Paul's saying, you know, hey, cheap meat. Right? I, I, Christians go and they purchase the meat in the marketplace as opposed to going to a different place because it's cheaper. But there were some that had joined the, the church who had an issue with this. And they were weak. They, they, they said, you know, they, this is something that could cause them to stumble. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know it's just meat, but if it's going to cause my brother or sister to stumble, and I do it anyway, I'm sinning. So I'm not going to eat meat. Even though he had every right in the world to slap that piece of meat, well done, on his plate, grab whatever utensils they used back then, (laughs) and eat the thing, in good conscience, eating the thing, he says, oh, wait a minute here, maybe not so much in good conscience, because if they're going to fall and if they're going to stumble and I cause that, then I'm sinning. In the context and what I was trying to share with you last week, I think, of 1 Corinthians 8, is that you can take the meat and replace your liberty there, whatever it is that you do. You know, whether it's listening to music, whether it's going to movies, whether it's eating food, whether it's drinking, whatever it would be, put your liberty in there, and then ask yourself this question, am I the source of stumbling a weaker brother or sister? And if so, you're sinning. And to me, it's plain and simple for a weaker for a weaker brother or sister. But there's another group of people that are out there with the exercise of our Christian liberty. That is the self-righteous legalists. Which almost, in a sense, is the opposite. The other extreme that we need to look at and is addressed 
in Scripture as well. So what I want to do is look at that people group, those who exercise their liberty. Well, let's put it this way, okay? If you, and you've met these people. It's, it's the people who think that they've arrived, who, who feel that in their life they have reached a level of spirituality by the things, now, now get the key word here, by the things that they have done, they feel that they've, le- they've reached a level of spirituality where they are able to be the model for others. Okay, now that was a lot in a sentence. These are people who feel that by what they have done, what they have done, you notice that's the key word there, it's not what God has done necessarily, it's what they have done, feel that they have reached a level of spirituality where they feel that others should model them. And then it is their job in life to tell others how it is they're supposed to model them. I went through a lot of definitions on legalism and self-righteousness. Trust me, I've been through all the books. I've been through all the stuff right there. That's the easiest way I understand it. And I could go through a three-point thing here saying this is what legalism is. Let's go through point number one. Let's go through point number two. Let's go through point number three. But that's really what it is. It's a believer. Well, okay, be careful with the language there. It may or may not be a believer. I mean, look what we're dealing with in Titus. We're dealing with the Judaizers. Now, do you think that the, the Judaizers, when Paul came and established a church and then after he left, the Judaizers slipped in the door, do you think that the people in the churches felt that those people coming in were saved? Absolutely. How could they get an audience otherwise? How could they get people to listen to what they were saying? It's so obvious, in a sense, what they're talking about. You know, Judaizers, they would slip in they would get real familiar with, it, with the congregation and then they would start slipping in these doctrines. Of what? Hey, listen, this is great what Christ has done for us, but you know what? We had the Old Testament law for so long. The Mosaic law. Don't you think that we should, we should keep that and exercise our faith? Don't, don't you think that we should be this separate people that are circumcised, that are following these laws? It was a subtle thing that they were doing. And I am convinced that the people that were coming in there were probably accepted by the group. And Paul's trying to say, you know, don't accept them. Don't accept them. Because they're ruining grace. And that's really what legalism is. And that really is what self-righteousness is. It is a way of ruining grace. Did you hear that? Have you ever been victim to someone that's like that? Now, we have to be careful, too, because another passage of Scripture that I'm going to is Romans chapter 14, where it says that we're not supposed to judge others. <laughs> I didn't say Scripture was easy. It's not easy. I mean, when do you know you cross the line in judging, you know, the motives of another believer? There are some clear indicators, I think, that we can find of recognizing people who are self-righteous, and I think that in Galatians chapter 5, we'll find, we'll find those things. Now, legalism, if you've ever endured it, is a very subtle thing. I told you the illustration of when I was in St. Louis, and I'll just reiterate this illustration just so that it's fresh in your mind of this lady. When I was down, uh, I went down to teach sixth grade and attended the assembly that was attached to the school, and after a couple of weeks, this lady comes up to me with a thick binder that, you know, on when you should have your prayer time. 
And she asked me, Donnie, when do you have your prayer time? Well, I have it at night. She goes, well, I want you to read this. And the whole thing was about how people in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, had their quiet times in the morning. Early in the morning, when they were fresh, when they get up from bed, that's what they did. You know, facing Jerusalem, the whole nine yards, these great figures and stuff like this. And Donnie, you're just not this great figure because you're not doing your prayer time in the morning. So I went back the next week and she said, what did you think about that? So I do my prayer time at night. She goes, well, I'm just trying to tell you that people, the key, you know, you want to be a David, you want to be a... You, want, you do your prayer time in the morning then. I didn't listen to her, okay? But I was victim in that respect to what I would consider legalism by an individual. And so it's subtle because, boy, I would, I would really like to be like David. <laughs> and if David had his quiet time in the morning, then, you know, Jesus had his in the morning, you know. <laughs> I guess I should have it in the morning. But I tell you what, I would fall asleep <laughs> reading Scripture in the morning if I got up at 6 and I had to sit down and read through, you know, Leviticus. I mean, I could see my head going, wonk. I could see drool uh, coming down my face if I'm doing it in the morning. I'm not fresh. It's not there. It just doesn't do it for me. It does in the evening. When I was writing my dissertation, for example, it took me a long time to write my dissertation. <laughs> Four years <laughs> to write my dissertation. I'm not a writer. And I just wanted to put it off. And anybody who knows me long knows that I am a procrastinator, procrastinator, procrastinator. I'd rather do something else than write. That is for sure. Finally, my wife just had it. My wife's not a procrastinator. She's type A. That's why I married her. Well, I loved her too. But, you know. <laughs> but she says, you know, Donnie, you have got to get this thing done. And so you know what she did? She, she went and bought a coffee maker. And we had a downstairs study. And she said, Donnie, go in to this room and close the door. You are not allowed to see me or the kids or have food or anything else until you at least write three pages a night. Now, you, the key word there was at night. So she locked me in at 8 o'clock, and then I had to put through three pages of my dissertation before I could leave that room. And it worked. It worked. It did. I got done with my dissertation in like two months. I did. It was so easy in that. But, but I'm productive at night. And so I didn't have a quiet time. You see, legalism, those that are self-righteous and those that are legalistic, will say to you, do what I am doing. You know what? And let me tell you this. It is, is it not difficult to, to determine a person who is self-righteous versus godly? All right, think about that just for a moment here, okay? A godly person. Someone who you would consider godly someone who is living their life, and we would identify them as a godly person. Now, there are people that you know in your life that are godly. That godly person and a legalistic person, what's the difference between the two? Okay, good. Humility is one. Let's, let's work through this, okay? The difference between a godly person and a legalistic person and being able to identify between the two. You know, because that lady who was, who was at the assembly that I was at down there was considered by a number of people to be godly. Think about that for a moment. Because I considered her to be legalistic. And I was with her for a number of years. I'm not going to give you her... Well, maybe I did last week. If so, edit that out too. <laughs> but uh, but, but how, how come I can make the determination that she is you know, self-righteous and legalistic and others can say that she's godly. What's the difference? And I think humility is a key. What other things do you know? Go ahead. Let's share on this. 
ways to know a godly person from a self-righteous person. And you've had experiences with that, and what do you say? Humility is a marker. Their actions. But what happens if the actions are similar? What happens if a godly person says that they pray in the morning and a self-righteous person says that they pray in the morning? What happens if a, if a godly person says that uh, they give 10% of what they give to the Lord and a self-righteous person says that they give? How, how do we know the difference between those two? The heart. And how do you identify the heart? See, I'm, I'm just trying to show you that it's difficult to see. Okay, okay. 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 All right. A godly person doesn't ask others to do what they're doing. Now, now they do it by their actions, okay? And maybe a godly person, if, like if Victor and I are doing a mentoring type of a thing, and I'm not even saying I'm godly, Victor, so don't get this from here and that you're ungodly, okay? Okay? <laughs> Don't, I'm not even saying that, okay? But, but, you know, and we'll say to each other, you know, we should do this or we should do that. A godly person lives by example. And then maybe in the context of teaching or maybe in the context of one-on-one, they could say, you know, emulate this particular thing here. But, but usually it is marked by humility, someone who is a godly person. And so they're not telling you to live like they are. A godly person doesn't ask others to practice godliness in the same way that they practice godliness although that might be something that's desired, we look at these individuals and we see how they're living and say, I want to be like that individual. And perhaps you'll come up to that individual and ask them, listen, will you teach me? Will you, you know, go into instruction? But it's really not a boasting, a prideful type of thing saying, look, do what I'm doing. Now, for purposes of instruction that can happen, the Apostle Paul does that, does he not? Okay, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he's doing this in a large context to the church. But you can see by his, by his life practices, by what he does in life, which is what you're saying, that he is a godly person. What a legalist will do, what a legalist will do, as, as Greg says, is tell others, look, this is what I do, You do it too. I've given up music. And you know what? It's helped my life out tremendously because I can focus upon the Bible and I can focus upon the Word of God. I've given up my music. And you should too. Because it will help you focus on the Bible and focus upon God. I've given up up alcohol. And so you need to give up alcohol. Alcohol. I've given, see the, what the point is? The point is, is that they've reached, they believe, and they want you to do it. But it's a work that they have done. See, that's the thing with legalism and with a self-righteous person. It's an action that they perform that they believe has reached them to a point where they can then teach others to do exactly what they're doing and tell you to do so. It's a, it's a thin line that's there. But that's what I, that's what I, I see from this.
Look at Luke chapter 18. I'd like you to see an illustration of this that's found in the Gospels of what we're talking about here. I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing to teach on and really understand, but I think this parable gets pretty close to what we're talking about here. In Luke chapter 18, and starting in verse 9, probably a parable that's very familiar to most, if not all of you, it says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness, that's a key phrase there of a self-righteous legalistic person, confident in their own righteousness, not God's righteousness necessarily, but their own righteousness in what they have performed, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a great illustration. I, it's a parable, and so it's a, it's a story that's, that teaches a spiritual truth. And so the question that you have to ask yourself about a parable is, did it actually happen? I think this could have happened. I think it could very easily have happened that Jesus was in the temple and saw a Pharisee walk into the temple and behave this way. The man walks into the temple. He is a tither. He is practicing the things that are, that are according to the law. He feels that he has his life well in hand. Thank you very much. Spiritually, he feels that he has accomplished what needs to be accomplished spiritually. He prays, he gives, and he enters into the temple to pray to the Lord. And he stands in the middle and, and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not a robber, I'm not an adulterer, and I am not like that guy that I noticed that just walked in here. That tax collector who takes money from your people and gives it to the Romans and fills his own purse. I thank you that I am not like that man. That's a self-righteous individual. You see, it's his own righteousness. Are there people that you know like that? Are you like that? But the tax collector couldn't even look up into heaven. You ever had moments in your life? I did when I was saved. <laughs> I remember it. I don't remember the day, but I remember the feeling that I had being cut to the quick, knowing all this stuff and finally being cut to the quick right there. I mean, it's not even being able to look up into heaven for the sins that you've done, but asking God to forgive. And then living your life in light of that and the appreciation that we even shared this morning during worship service of thankful hearts for what the Lord has done for us. And that the expressions of what we do, the righteousness that we do, that we have, is a righteousness that comes from God and not from our own power, then we behave like the tax collector. And Jesus says, I tell you this, that man is justified. He didn't go in the light. I, I envision this tax collector. I mean, my mind goes all over the place when I look at stories and I do things like this and I embellish things because it's a parable. You can do that, okay? I envision this man walking into the temple and finding the darkest corner of that temple so that no one could see him. Walking into that temple and getting down in that corner and just in a fit of humility asking the Lord's forgiveness. 
See, that's what the Lord desires. That's what the Lord desires from our life. It doesn't matter how long you've been with the Lord. That's what, he des- that's what He desires. The Sermon on the Mount teaches this as well. That we are to practice our righteousness, our godliness is attached to Jesus Christ and to the grace that He offers. So anything that we do, and a godly person will do this. I, 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 you know, There are people in my life that I would consider extremely godly. If I told them that, they would say, I'm not godly. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just trying to do what I have to do until I get to heaven. See, that's, that's typically the M.O. of a godly person. The M.O. of a self-righteous person is that they enjoy recognition of what they have done. In Galatians chapter 5, I want to turn there and show you just some quick principles on this issue of legalism and self-righteousness that Paul addresses. And again, it's in the context of Christian liberty that we're looking at this. And last week we saw the weaker brother. Now we're going to see the individual that we're just that I just spoke. I don't even know if I was clear on that in, ex- in explaining it. I mean, I've been through a number of books, and I just didn't like any of the definitions that I had there. And so I thought, yeah, you know, maybe I'll try to explain it on my own. But sometimes I'm mushy and fuzzy on things like that. Because, you know, I tell my kids what to do, and I think I'm pretty clear on that, and they don't listen to me. So <laughs> maybe it's the same with this one. So. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with the Judaizers. The Judaizers were self-righteous people. Really felt themselves at a point where they could teach others, but they wanted to bring in this requirement of the Mosaic Law and ask people to go back into circumcision and such. And so the Galatian church seems to have gone back. Remember in Galatians it says, Who has bewitched you? The appeal is, is given and the people are starting to listen. And he says, who has bewitched you? In chapter 5 it says, it is, Paul says in verse 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom. We're free. You know, when I go through a worship meeting like this sometimes, I, I'm, not, I'm not a charismatic fellow, although, you know, I'm pretty quiet and reserved when it comes to it, but I just want to, get up and hear what Sam said and what Victor said and what Jason said. All the stuff that was mixed together and just stand up, you know, we're free! (laughs) Feels good to say that. Free from what? We're free from, from the penalty of our sins. We are free from the lure of the sin nature. Well, we don't have the sin nature anymore, but it seems that the lure seems to go out there and seems to just hook us at times to go back and enjoy what we're free from. But it says that you're free. You have been set free, Paul says. So then stand firm in your freedom. And do not let yourselves become a burden or do not let yourselves be burdened again with a, lo- a yoke of slavery. We're free. And as such, we're told in the Bible that as free individuals, we have the right to exercise liberty. Okay? We're not talking about it necessarily in this passage, but you know that there are passages that we find that that we're able to exercise liberty. Like, for instance, in Titus chapter 2, when it says that a person is given to wine, 
in my mind, it's saying given to wine. Like in Romans chapter 1 where it says that a, that a person, because they've uh, suppressed the truth so long, that the Lord gave them over to depravity. Okay? Given is that, they're, they're, that, that wine rules them. Okay? So does that then say that a person can't drink wine or alcohol? Well, you look at the wedding at Canaan and Jesus turned a lot of gallons into not fermented grape juice, but into wine. What about music? On the cover of the white book this morning I was looking at, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, so what's the definition of music then that's appropriate and inappropriate? Is classical music appropriate? Everybody says a hearty amen in that. Is country music appropriate? Amen. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Then it becomes a question of definition. My wife hates country music. It's true. <laughs> so there's a freedom that we, that we have that's expressed through our liberty as well. Now in the context of, of Galatians chapter 5, what's happening is that the self-righteous legalistic Judaizer who is met into the group is trying to restrict the freedom of the people in terms of grace saying, listen, you're free, but you need to go back and practice the Mosaic law because that's God's law. You need to be circumcised. You need to, you need to uh, follow the precepts that are there in the Mosaic law in addition to grace. But you know what the difficulty is in that, in that thing and why Paul says that it's a bewitching is because Paul has already identified through the Holy Spirit that the Mosaic Law was work-oriented. Because what the law couldn't do, Christ did. And what couldn't the law do? The law couldn't save. Because you had to keep the laws, all of the laws, every day of your life, without breaking one. And then you could be saved, but nobody could do that. But what the law couldn't do, Jesus Christ could do. Which is what? The law couldn't save, Jesus could save. Why in the world are you going back again? Who bewitched you? You're free. I think that's pretty clear. Look what else he says here. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law you, you who are trying to be justified by the law have, alienated, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I find it interesting just... As an aside, how long do I have? Somebody, what'd you say, Sam? Okay. I find it interesting that in these passages that we look at, and I'm probably muddling through this in here, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the rule that we have for not stumbling a weaker brother and sister is love. In this passage here, talking about the Judaizers, the legalistic, self-righteous individuals, and not trying to take away our liberty. 
It says here, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Romans chapter 14, which is a passage that I wanted to deal with this morning, but we won't, is a passage that talks about judging. But let me just read a verse to you. This is also in the context of meat that's sacrificed to idols. It says, Therefore, let us stop judging one another. Instead, make up your own mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle into your, in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Says, Let every person determine in their own mind what they're supposed to do. But, but, if there's a brother or sister that this is unclean to, and you're going to eat it, you're not acting in love. All three key passages in this issue of Christian liberty talk about love. You have every right to exercise your liberties. But do you love when you exercise those liberties and you don't know your brother or sister? Why? You may be exercising a liberty that either causes a brother or sister to stumble, which is sin. You may be exercising a liberty with a self-righteous individual that's there, which is quite different in this context because it's not, that's not stumbling. But still, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that you're supposed to operate in love to those individuals. That word love is important in this whole discussion. And that's really what I want to leave you with in talking about this before we get into Titus chapter 2. I want you to pause just for a moment because I had to do this too as I was writing this. And it seems so cheesy and cliche. And it is. But I want you to think for a moment and look around here at the people and say, do I love each of the individuals that are here? Now, it's cheesy because you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, you know, yes, we look around. I love them. I love them, you know. Isn't there anything, isn't there, is there a person that's here that has done something to you, said something to you, that's offended you, that you've held it in your heart against that individual? In other words, is there something here that's stopping you from being intimate with each and every person that's next to you? Because that is what's demanded by God for the church. What makes the great adventure so great is the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes the great adventure so great is that there's a group of young people, mid to young people, a couple older people that are in here, and then a 42-year-old, okay, who's here because of an expression of love to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you guys express that love every day, but is there an intimacy here? Do you know who's here? Do you know their battles? Do you know what they struggle with? You know how you can only know that? It's not from having coffee and donuts you know, with Sam. It's not, it's not having uh, a casual conversation on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study. It's actually getting to know that individual. It's actually taking time with that individual. And it might involve an accountability time with that individual. You know how we've lost that art in the church? How we've lost the art of picking an individual to work with and work with you and sitting down and asking some very difficult questions of one another? 
Men struggle with pornography. Men struggle with loving your wife. Men, I, see, I know this because I'm a man, okay? Women, I don't know. <laughs> I probably do know, I just don't want to say, okay? <laughs> My wife's not here. No, I can't say it anyway. She'll get word. Anita knows it, so. It, it evolves accountability. It's taking the time to get to know one another. I can talk forever on the do's and don'ts of Christian liberty. I can, I can, I could tell you if you wanted to what you should do or shouldn't do. Okay, but I'm not going to because it's not my right to do that. But I'm, but just as a, as a fallen, sinful person that's been saved by the grace of God, I could tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> you could tell me what I'm doing wrong. That's the rub of Christian liberty. Each one of us thinks differently on the issue. But you know one thing we can think alike in is making an effort from here on out to be on an intimate level with those of us who are here in the group so that we can know what struggles you have. You can know the struggles that I have. We can pray together about those struggles as we work towards the time when we're in heaven. When we can work toward the time that we're together and free from this stuff, See, the view, the, 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 you know, one of the things that the elders asked when I, when I came in here is not only why do you want to be here, Donnie, you know, uh, why, why come to the great adventure after being in, in uh, Dubuque since 2005? And remember that conversation that we had? And the, you know my answer was, and it's still the answer today, is that the, I, am, I am not looking for the church to do something for me. We are in the church to do something together. And when the church becomes meism, what am I getting out of it? And we're not giving back? See, that's the whole idea. We plot on through this. No matter what happens, we plot on together. We plot on together in love. And we work through these issues together as they come up. And that's an intimacy. And that's an intimacy of fellowship that we're going to enjoy in heaven. We can experience it here if we make an effort to do that. And so I would ask you that if there is a brother or sister here that you do have issues with, I don't know if you looked around, I think everybody was still looking at me, look around. Is there anybody that you have an issue with? I would encourage you to talk with that person. Get it resolved now so that we can go forward strong as a church in working through these issues and the things that come, that come our way. Is there anyone that you have? That's what love is. And that's how it's expressed here. I told my wife as I was preparing for this message, I said, I'm doing things that I would never do in a message. And I mean, I get emotional and things like that, but I don't ask people to do that kind of stuff. Because if I'm sitting out there, I don't like it when people tell me to do it. One of the things I absolutely hate is when somebody tells me to get up and shake hands with the person that's next to me or hug that person that's next to me. You know, it's just, I do. It's just the way that I am, you know. I'll hug them or shake their hands later. Don't tell me to do it, you know. That's just the way that I feel about things. That's, That's my personality, okay. I know we've done that since I've been here, and I've hugged you, and, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to put that sin up to the Lord, okay? <laughs> and that was something I think is extremely important in this context, because all three of the passages, 1 Corinthians 8, Galatians 5, Romans 14, the thing that's highlighted in there is love. It's love. Know your brother and sister who are weaker, love them. The self-righteous, legalistic person that you would identify as such, love them. 
And then anything else that comes up, just don't judge them. Love them. And we'll get there. All right. I think I've said enough. Probably could say more on the issue. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. I know you're going to exercise your liberties. I know you're going to listen to your music. You're going to go to your movies. You're going to drink or whatever it is. You're going to eat your food. Whatever the liberties are that you enjoy that's in here. You know when you've crossed the line in the exercising of those liberties. You know when you've crossed the line. Don't let it be a crossing of the line because you don't know the people who are here. At least get that down and work with the other things in your life as you go. Father, thank you for what we have together, which is a a joint love and appreciation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here together as a body because Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins. And we are free. We are free from sin. We're free from the penalty of sin. We are, as we shared this morning, thankful, Father, to you. We have overflowing hearts now for what you have done for us. You have freed us, Father. We always will remain free. There are things that happen in our life, though. There are things that come at us. Lures, Father, even from the old sinful time that we had, things that can bring us into a wrong relationship with you, they, they tempt us always. You've given us freedom, Father, to enjoy certain things, but there comes a point, Father, we recognize when that freedom exercise turns to sin. It's hard to know when for each individual. We can look at the passages, Father, that you've given to us through your Spirit in Corinthians and in Romans and Galatians, and we're still confused. I'm still confused on this issue. But you have made it very clear, Father, through the Holy Spirit, that what is the operating principle for us is love. And I appreciate the Great Adventure Church, Father. I appreciate our elders and leadership. I appreciate the love that they do exhibit, that you can see so clearly in them. I appreciate each individual that is here, Father. And I sense from them this loving warmth that's there. But, but Father, perhaps there are people here that are having difficulties with another brother or sister that aren't working in love with them or really do not desire intimacy. Change our hearts, Father. Change our hearts. And help us to go to that individual or individuals. Make restitution, Father, with that so that we can go forward in a deep intimacy of fellowship that is unknown to so many churches that are out there. May, may the great adventure then be a light to you in this way. We want that, Father. We may not get it if we don't have your help. So help us. Put your spirit, pour your spirit out on us, Father, in a very mighty way. In a very mighty way. And give us discernment as we exercise our liberties. We pray this in Christ's name.